recently took a trip out to Astoria, Queens to visit Beyond Kombucha. We met with the owner and brewer, Spiro, and he gave us a tour of the facilities before we sat down and talked to him. As you'll probably hear from the interview, Spiro is a very energetic, intense personality, and before we could even do an intro, he already started the interview by himself. He was telling us how when he was a producer and musician, he used to travel frequently to the West Coast and where he first came upon kombucha. I used to travel out west a lot, so I used to fly out there. As a matter of fact, that's how I discovered kombucha. I would go out there, and uh, they'd have it, and I couldn't find it anywhere back here, like in 2003, 4, 5. And um, I got hooked on it, found out it was made made of tea, and I've been into teas since I was a kid. So I started making my own. It started coming out really good, and as soon as I start making it in volumes, then I start seeing it on store shelves. So I'm like, oh, look at that. And the more I make it, the better it was getting. And then people got into it and said, you should really sell this. And I was getting tired of uh, dance music and slowly moved in this direction. Maybe someday I'll start making money. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us basically in simple terms, what is kombucha? Uh, kombucha is fermented sweet tea. It's fermented by a specific symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. The yeast that is common to the kombucha culture is Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is beer yeast, and a bunch of others, Saccharomyces boulardii. There's some Fretanomyces in there as well. Uh, it's a bunch of different things, and each culture will have a different spectrum of yeast. The bacteria are kind of constant. You have the gluconobacter, which produces glucuronic acid, uh, the acetobacter, which produces vinegar, um, the oxalobacter, oxalic acid. There's... Um, several different other amino acids, basically, that will come of the culture, but um, they're pretty constant. And the way these things work, the yeast will convert sugar into alcohol, the bacteria will convert sugar and alcohol both into the acids, and they all depend on the minerals in tea. The kombucha culture, as far as most people know, depends on caffeine, the presence of caffeine as a mineral source, and the polyphenols in tea and all that sort of thing. But anyway, the, the byproduct of all this fermentation is B vitamins, Digestive enzymes, amino acids, like the probiotic content is enormous. Super healthy stuff, great for digestion. Hyaluronic acid is another one. Hyaluronic acid is a building block of collagen, super good for your hair, skin, and nails. Some people say anti-aging qualities, antioxidant, anti-cancer. As a matter of fact, uh, GT's, GT Dave, which is the big national brand, his whole thing was he started doing this because his mom was drinking it and she cured herself of breast cancer. Glucuronic acid is actually being studied as a cancer preventative. There's entire towns in Russia that have no history of cancer because they have a cultural staple of drinking kombucha, which they call grib in Russia, which means mushroom. So there's kombucha. <laughs> Run us through the basic process of creating it. Oh, it's easy enough. Uh, you brew some tea. Any, any, any tea will do. Black tea works especially well. It's the highest in caffeine. Green tea's all right. Oolong is fine as well. Sugar. Table sugar, white sugar is okay. I use organic sugar, evaporated cane juice to be specific. Turbinado is a little bit too thick for it. It doesn't. It's a little too complex. Simpler sugars are better. One gallon of tea, one cup of sugar is pretty much the recipe, the standard. I, I kind of cut back a little bit myself because I, I like to have a little lower sugar content. Let it cool to room temperature. 
add the culture and about a cup of uh, starter tea, which would be kombucha from a previous batch that is already quite sour. You add that to the gallon, add the culture in it, let it ferment for a week to, to a week or two or three, depending on how sour you want it. And then I'd get it at about nine days. All the studies have shown that nine days, the probiotic content is peaked. The flavor is nice. It's like right between sweet and sour. And when you bottle it at the exact right moment, you get perfect carbonation, bottle conditioning. You have to bottle and cut the oxygen supply, like conditioning a beer, same sort of thing. You know, cap it, no oxygen, goes into anaerobic fermentation, carbonates, touch of alcohol is left over. It's very simple, very simple. The hard part is making a company. (laughs) <laughs> and so once you pull it off, you know, of, 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 the, of the culture of the, mm. like, the pellicle is yeah. what it looks like, um, then does it pretty much stop its fermentation? No, no. It, 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 aside from the, the ref- in the bottle, obviously right. the conditioning, yeah. but it's not going to evolve tremendously much in terms of aging? or. It's interesting. You put it in a bottle, it, it'll scavenge oxygen in the bottle. Um, you'll get a tiny, tiny bit of culture, sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, a little bit of jelly in every single bottle of kombucha, no matter what, as long as it's authentic stuff. But then it goes to a point where the oxygen runs out, so it just turns sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's conditioning. I've got bottles that are a year old that are just absolutely delicious. I bottle everything at below 4.6 pH, so it's always a non-hazardous food product. I've got the timing down so that it doesn't overcarbonate. The carbonation is always consistent and really good. That's a bit of an art, I suppose. Kombucha is not as easy as beer. With beer, it'll ferment through, and then you have to prime. Kombucha, you don't do that. Kombucha, you have to really time it right and get the bricks temperature right and then the, the pH correct so that you know you can put it in a bottle and it'll carbonate perfectly and just leave it there. I've got, like I said, I got inventory from October of last year that is just exquisite. Some of the best stuff I have. Actually, I got I got a case from July of last year that I'm just going to start to open now because it's just so awesome. Is that going to be the new trend? Vintage kombucha? Maybe. <laughs> who knows? I mean, anybody who who really understands it will know that there's no real expiration to date to this stuff. Mainly because, like I said, it's bottled at point. You know, the pH is so low that nothing else is going to live in it. And I have found that it just dries up. It just gets drier and not not increasingly more sour. And the tea flavor comes forward, which is what I do it for in the first place. I'm not a big fan of all the fruits and all that sort of thing. I make a blueberry because I'm a blueberry fanatic. I mean, I raise blueberries on my balcony. I love blueberries. So I make a blueberry rooibos space kombucha. It happens to be my, one of my p- most popular flavors. Um, but I'm into the oolong. I've got a, a golden flower oolong, which is um, just exquisite, really, really light, super subtle. But the tea is just its so wonderful, almost floral, jasmine-like with a touch of pineapple almost in it, but it's all just the tea, the tea flavor. That's how that works. How much tea do you put in one batch? Depends. I mean, I guess in, on average, say, say a black tea, what would you... Uh, generally about 32 grams per gallon, which okay. is a strange measure because grams is metric and gallons is U.S. But yeah, that's kind of my thing. I like to think about a teaspoon per serving, but that's like a lot. And each, each tea will have a different weight, a different density... Rooibos tea is just this fine grass that is ground up into nothing. If you put 32 grams of that, it wouldn't look like much, but the flavor would be there. Whereas uh, like a, a golden flower oolong, which is rolled up into little pellets, doesn't look like much, but it, it opens up into like this unbelievable amount of tea. So it's hard to say. Really, it, it depends on what tea it is and uh, how, how much flavor I really want present. Generally, I'm heavy-handed. Generally, I'm heavy-handed, especially with things like the oolong, because I really want that flavor to come through. 
Blueberry, blueberry turn is a little heavier. Blueberry, I do like 64 grams, but it's a tea blend because there's this rooibos tea, there's the blueberries themselves, and then there's a black tea that I add. So there's a lot of ingredients, and that, that comes, it's really rich. It's a very rich flavor. And you sell kombucha in kegs as well as bottles? I'm focusing on kegs now. When we have the funding, when we have the angel investor or whatever, however it's going to be structured, and we can get a proper bottling line, I'll go back into bottling and move that aspect of the business forward. I've been doing that for three years, and it's unbelievably labor-intensive because we have a four-nozzle bottler that has to be manually loaded by hand, a single capper. <laughs> it's pneumatic. you know. It's run by a, an air compressor, but still, it's one at a time, a single bottle labeler. It's just it's ridiculous. So once automation's here, then we'll move back into bottles. But right now, yeah, we're focusing on kegs. How does that work with the jelly that's in the kombucha with the kegging system, does that create problems? It's, it's been fine. <laughs> okay. I, I haven't had a problem. I haven't had a problem, and we've done hundreds and hundreds, po- probably up well into the thousands of kegs at this point. Kegs being a five-gallon, a six-tall. We supplied a pure food and wine in the city, Todd English's Olives at the W Hotel, Eastwood. Queen's Kickshaw's had it for a year and a half. The Strand. There's a bunch of places that have just the basic kombucha, and there's a bunch of places that have the kombucha ales. I've never had a, uh, had a place say, well, we got a SCOBY in the line. No, it's just that it doesn't happen. Because for whatever reason, I, first off, I top the kegs off way up to the top. So there's absolutely no air left inside. So there's nothing for it to scavenge. You know, you shake it, there's nothing moving around in there. And then I leave those kegs to condition for two weeks. They've been fantastic. Like I said, I've never had a SCOBY problem inside a keg. Maybe that's just good karma. <laughs> I'm just getting lucky with that because it's very much alive. Most kombucha is very low in alcohol with something like under 2%. Okay, that's an interesting thing. I launched this company two days before that whole fiasco came down where the FDA decided you're, you're an alcohol beverage, we're going to tax you now. So that's when I decided to file. I filed federal, I filed state brewery license. Beyond is officially the first alcohol brewery in Queens since Prohibition. Single cut, barrier, all the others came after me. <laughs> Mine was December of 2011. Mind you, it's the smallest <laughs> and, and the most unique and strange, but, you know, that goes with the, who, who's running it. Yeah, alcohol is uh, interesting. GT is the big national brand reformulated. From My understanding is that they, you're using a different spectrum of bacteria and yeast to produce their product. I think their enlightened version is now closer to what they call kefir water, um, but they also released the classic formula, which is the original kombucha formula, and those are in amber bottles. Same shape, but like an amber bottle instead. The amber bottles will have over 0.5% alcohol by volume. The other ones are below. KBBK, Kombucha Brooklyn, has a filtered product, and it's also flat in the bottles. It's not carbonated at all, and theirs is below. Mine, I never wanted to be below. I always wanted to be authentic, real, carbonated kombucha. People like their bubbles. People like the, f- the flavor, and I like mine dry. I- I'd rather my kombucha be drier, closer to a champagne than carbonated vinegar. So that was my intention. I perfected it. I went there. I said, I don't want to change it. Let me get the licenses. I'll pay the government seven cents a case. Just let me produce it the way I want to produce it. And authenticity and integrity was my focus. Mine are generally about one and a half percent alcohol by volume. Nobody's going to get drunk on it. Uh, You'd have to drink six in about a half an hour to get a (laughs) single beer buzz. And you know, you probably wind up with diarrhea before anything because the digestive qualities of it just like run food right through you. But yeah, it's where I want to be. It's what I want to do. And the federal and state licenses have freed me up to do a lot of fun stuff like Mavaroka. 
Which is... 7% alcohol by volume. A kombucha of 7%. Yeah. Maple vanilla rooibos kombucha ale. It's a sorghum. Sorghum is my primary fermentable. So what I do is I'll f- I take a finished kombucha. I add the proper amount, uh, you know, by, by weight, by scale of sorghum extract, which I get from breeze malting. I get a nice, high-quality, high-maltose sorghum syrup. It's an extract brew. Mm-hmm. Maple syrup, organic maple syrup from upstate New York. And uh, three different kinds of hops. Right now, in, the, in Mava, I'm using Challenger, Legacy, and Cascade. And uh, I was using UK Phoenix, but those are hard to come by right now. <laughs> yeah, and I add them gradually over time. That was a tip, that, like a technique that from Dogfish Head, who's got continuous hopping. Right. I kind of do it in five different, five different stages over the course of the hour of the boil. And uh, it's just great. I love what's coming out. So the, the brew kettles that we saw, yeah. you use those to make the tea as well? I make, yeah. Now I use that for everything. The bigger the brew kettle itself is a 45-gallon brew kettle. It's designed to make a barrel of beer because, you know, you have to boil off a bunch. Yeah, I'll boil the water, steep the tea, run it through my heat exchanger, chiller, and then move it to the barrels. That's how the kombucha is made. And then I use the same kettles to make the beer. Like I'll take the finished kombucha, either... If I do a, an all-grain, because I've done a couple of all-grain kombucha ales, I've got one, uh, the Yerba Mate, YMPA, I'm calling it, uh, Yerba Mate Pale Ale, very, very bitter. It's like super hopped, and Yerba Mate as a tea is quite bitter to begin with, and uh, that was fun. But like that was all-grain. I used um, several different organic malts. I mashed and sparged with finished kombucha. And I loved it. I think it's fantastic. And unless my math is completely way off, my, my brew house efficiency is like nothing that anybody gets. You know, normally 70% is, and you're good. I was getting 90. Wow. <laughs> and I, my theory is that it has to do with the acids in the kombucha. Like the pH is just like sucking the sugar right out of the grain. Furthermore, no tannin extraction at all because it's so acidic to begin with. I mean, when you're... That's interesting. Yeah, it's like, it's like starting with 4.6 pH water. The final product has been fantastic. I'm, I'm really, really happy with it. Like, the Yerba Mate IPA is great. It's just about to be released. And I got a Saison in there, a Lover's Saison, I call it. Lover's Saison is um, the Love Potion honey kombucha that I make, which is nine different aphrodisiac herbs and New York City local honey. As a kombucha, it starts like that, and then I, I made a Saison out of it. I used Belgian aromatic malt and Santium hops for that one. And that one's uh, still in the fermenter. It's about to go in the bright tank, just for a little clarification. And then uh, I'm going to bottle it in Belgians. You have a, a brewer's parlance. You definitely <laughs> you seem to talk the brew talk. So did, uh, were you uh, brewing beer? Brewing beer before this? Or? No, just um, hyper-psycho OCD. Like when I study something, when I get interested in something, I will immerse myself in the subject forever until I understand all the theory and then I'll go and practice it and perfect it. But this whole kombucha ale thing, you know, no one, no one can teach you that because no one's doing it. There's three companies in the world doing it. Mine, Unity Vibration in Lansing, Michigan, and then Lambrucha in Belgium. And they're doing a lambic thing, and they're combining a lambic beer and kombucha. Mixing yeah, I thought that they were yeah. blending. They yes. weren't actually yeah, brewing it together. Yeah. I don't know specifically what Unity's doing, but they've got some great stuff going on. I, I'm really proud of those guys. Like, they call it a American Wild Ale. Oh, so cool. I read everything I possibly could. I, I read the Palmer book cover to cover, really, really got into everything I possibly could about it, and like also got into replication of yeast, it, just absorbing the information and putting it to use. I got really lucky with Mavaroka. Mavaroka standing for Maple Vanilla Rooibos Kombucha Ale. It's like an acronym. 
but I got really lucky with it, really lucky. It just came out great first time, and I was able to create a consistent product based on that first attempt. And then the, the all-grain thing, that kind of grew out of it. That was me deciding, you know what, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to hit the craft beer market, I might as well do it for real. So I taught myself how to mash and sparge grains, and I started with a small system, and I stepped up really fast because I knew that I'd have to get into the market with it. Now, we saw in the fermentation room, mm -hmm. we saw the, those big oak barrels. How, yeah. big are, how, how many gallons? Those are 60s. 60-gallon barrels. Gallons, yeah. You ferment the kombucha and the kombucha ale? In no, those? no, just the kombucha in those. Just kombucha? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the kombucha ales are always in the stainless steel fermenters, the conicals. I could get into aging like that. That's probably a step to move in, th in, the, in that direction eventually, but right now it's kind of like throughput. Right now I've got to get the product into the market and make sure people know that it exists and that it's good. Once that happens, then I can get really cool, and then I can talk to people like Crooked Stave and be like, all right, how are you doing this? And, you know, move into much more subtle stuff. So are, are you a big beer fan? A massive <laughs> beer fan. Okay. <laughs> I'm apeshit over beer. <laughs> Anytime I see a Cezanne on a menu, I must have it. Cezanne being, you know, the wildest of the beers, or like the, the most unique. I call it the Pinot Noir of beer, because it just takes a lot of attention and, you know, changing the temperature gradually over all that stuff. Any farmhouse ale, sours. I'm really into sours, farmhouses, and Cezannes. That's my thing. Belgians would be second after that, and after that, the IPAs. But yeah, I, I'm fanatic about beer. And you're getting your kombucha, especially the ale, into some bars. Uh, I've had a dedicated line in the Queen's Kickshaw, which is the trendiest place to eat in Queens since the launch date, December 11th of 2011. Cooler places would be Pure Food and Wine in New York City, which is like the top vegan restaurant probably in the world. <laughs> and I've got two lines there, which I'm so, so happy about. The W Hotel, Todd English's restaurant, Olives in the W Hotel. We've got a dedicated line there since, I don't know, about a year now. Colicchio and Sons, which is unbelievable. I can barely believe I've got a line there. But yeah, it's been there for a year. A couple places in Brooklyn, Tandem Bar, This and That. Those are draft lines. And um, like I said, we're moving away from bottles as best I can. Less because of the labor intensiveness, more so because of the environmental sustainability aspect. I'm a rabid environmentalist. I helped build Tri-State Biodiesel, New York City's first biodiesel waste cooking oil to biodiesel company. They're, they're about to build their refinery, and I mean, I helped build that company in its initial stages. When I was a musician, I was writing songs about the environment. All I care about, the fact that we as a, as a species are having the most significant drastic impact on this planet we're trying to leave to our kids and grandkids. We all got to get a little bit more conscious about these things. The fact that the brewery is, is, the building is solar. We sell energy back to the grid even when I'm brewing full tilt. That was a pretty important thing. And when my brother made the decision to install a solar array, I was like, thank you, you are really helping me right now. But when I had a delivery truck, it was running on biodiesel. My car is a diesel car, can run on biodiesel when I can get it. So as far as draft lines go, environmental sustainability, it, it, it must be, you know. We need to not be sucking these bottles in and, like, throwing them away. And recycling causes just as much pollution as, as making a new bottle. All the energy. Oh, use. it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's so much better between growler programs, growler fills. That's the, really the best way. It's somewhat impractical, but the tiny bit of impracticality that translates into a world of sustainability is so worth it. And more and more places are getting wind of that and realizing that that's the way to go. You see dispensers where you can fill your growler here and then take it and go, go home, drink it, come back, fill it again. You reuse, reuse, reuse. And then, of course, for bars and restaurants, that's the best market for me because I'm making a better quality kombucha. I'm making a kombucha with excellent tea, high, high quality tea. And like 
oak barrel fermented, and the, the quality standard is there, and that's why it's attracting attention from really good restaurateurs and uh, and sommeliers and whatnot. So. Where do you want to take the company now? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. you've had a good start. Well, we had a good start. Right now, it's kind of in a, in a bit of a reconfiguring phase. We are courting some investors. We may be acquired sometime soon. I see Beyond Kombucha as actually a cornerstone business of a much larger vision. There's some friends of mine and I, um, including Andrew Faust, who is a very significant, um, probably the, mo- the foremost permaculture specialist in New York State, who is the founder of the Center for um, Sustainable Living Upstate New York. We're getting together here to discuss plans for something really considerable, like urban buildings, like a single building. There's plenty of buildings in Brooklyn right now available for sale. It's unbelievable. But a single building wherein there would be the brewery with a loading dock and ample space to do a significant production line. A macrobiotic gastropub, an organic farm, rooftop farm, holistic health center, yoga studios, that kind of thing. And possibly, if if we can find mixed-use buildings, urban habitation, closed-looped, minimal waste stream, and models of environmental sustainability. Beyond Kombucha just becomes an income stream for this thing. Then it would supply the local region with the best kombucha around. But that's really my vision. That's been my vision for years, and I've got other people who have the same vision, and it looks, it's coming. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. It's a great conversation that's happening. Spiro, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us and talk about your company. We love the kombuchas you make, and we really uh, wish you the best success. Thanks so very much. We look forward to finding more bars and restaurants. Yeah, yeah. That's it.